Our country is more divided than ever before, and not just between those who put pineapple on their pizza. There's members on both sides of the aisle uh, who are more interested in making noise than they are about governing. From the committee rooms to this floor, we commit to pursue the truth passionately. There's a mic right there. And that's a damn short walk. It's why people don't trust people like you, because you peddle false narratives. And so we disabuse you of those narratives. We must all hang together, Benjamin Franklin said, or assuredly we will all hang separately. Previously on Dakota Town Hall. Eminent domain is the phrase of the week, it seems. Leadership was ready to be on the same page, and based on the landowners that showed up, they had to change their tune a little. Some of the healthcare systems and the employers need to look at ways that we can look at doing it different, because the way we used to do it isn't working in the world we live in today. I truly believe people have the right to know what the law means, and the way it stands now, people aren't sure. And we can care about babies, and we can have humanity in the process. We can do both. Back to another edition of Dakota Town Hall, South Dakota's premier weekly political podcast. We're down a man this week. Uh, it is uh, myself and Mr. Jake showing back. Afternoon, sir. Just two co- cowboys here. We're shooting from the hip, doing our best without Noah, our uh, kind of news setting guy. Our <laughs> Noah is uh, Noah is uh, down in Cancun. We tried to have mom, but the audio didn't work out. That was an entertaining um, quick call in from Noah that we're like, yeah, it's, uh, we'll try again next week. The poor dude, he's, you know, he's good at this too, right? And I want him on for sure, but like he was on a bus and that wasn't going to work. And then he got off the bus to try to get on and that sounded worse. And now he's like, yeah. got to walk 20 miles. No, Noah was walking on the side of a Mexican road and we're like, well, there goes our co-host. Oh boy. He's going to get kidnapped. He'll make it. He'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. So let's start with, uh, let's start with, so we're going to talk to on this, uh, on today's episode, we've got quite a number of interviews. We're going to talk to representatives Derby and Van Huysen uh, on some revenue estimates. And then uh, Jake and I are also going to be talking to uh, Kolbe- Steve Kolbeck, and, is Senator Steve Kolbeck, yeah? Yes. And uh, then who else is joining us? Uh, Senator Brent Hoffman, who is actually the prime sponsor of the nuclear energy bill. Okay, so we'll be that's a that's let's call that nukes energy and maybe pipelines. Yep. Okay, yep. so that's that's what's loaded up on the show. Maybe some hot topics in between there. I guess the I guess the gossipy part of this show can be the Freedom Caucus roster. Did you <laughs> did you see that? That was an entertaining piece of uh, literature that came out. So, like, Austin explain Goss. what happened if no if you if if those of you listening don't know what it is. Yeah, so it was uh, earlier this week, it was a roster posted on the bulletin board outside of the lobbyist area in the Senate hallway, which is odd that's in the Senate hallway because of the Freedom Caucus members that were on this roster, a lot of them are representatives. And in fact, pretty much all of them are. Uh, there's only a few that be considered Freedom Caucus people in the Senate. So they the left- roster got posted in the Senate and they all denied it. They all denied being on it? They no, well, not physically there. They're like, yeah, my name's there, but I'm not on that caucus. I'm not okay. part of the Freedom Caucus. I mean, yeah, the leadership, which is already, I mean, that's uh, Aaron Aylward, uh, Tina Malali, and Tony. Oh, yeah, they had the Tina Malali as leadership. I, I yeah, saw. Yeah, I believe she technically is. Um, I yeah, also so, I saw. Did I see Jess Olson's name on there? Which yeah, I thought that's how you know this was, thing is laughable. <laughs> there was there was leadership, membership, and. Uh, prospects uh, prospects it was yes. like it was like getting punched into a motorcycle gang yeah it was like jess olson it's like really that's i don't know if she would agree with you guys on much stuff 
So it, it was an interesting little list. And they all, Aaron Aylward, who's the chair of that caucus or what's trying to be a caucus, uh, claimed it wasn't real. Um, I'm guessing what happened was they were photocopying it, left it in the printing area, which is right next to between the House and the Senate. Someone saw it, grabbed it, posted it. Oh, okay, that. so you don't think you do think it was just uh, I made twenty copies, left one on the machine, and then this just got posted. I think it's exactly what it was. I mean, you had enough contact information. Otherwise, someone to a lot of work for for a gag. Like uh, I don't know. I, I respect a lot of work for a gag. I do too, but it just I don't know. It seems unlikely. I mean, the only thing that makes me think it wasn't real is the Jess Olson thing on there, right? I mean, that's the only thing that's like, okay, is that the is that the red flag for that's fake or? I, I well, and then and then why? I guess you know, for what gain is any of the? You know what I mean? I just don't understand the the. I guess they have to get more members, and that's maybe they have a meeting, and okay, here's our pro. You know, it must be half real. I think it's a lot of wishful thinking, like a lot of wishful thinking. I mean, even the ones that said "quote unquote" memberships, like Scott Odenbach, for example, who I think you could put as. Depending, Very much aligned with their yeah. Views, depending on the issue, I'd call him yeah. Freedom Caucus, like Diet Freedom Caucus. Yeah, and he's like, I am not part of that. Um, like, That's I think the, Liz May said she wasn't part. Everyone's of that. So, I mean, everyone's uh, starting to uh, break their hips a little bit to be Never Trumpers again. I mean, I'm noticing that a little bit. That trend's happening. It's very much coming out. But uh, that, it was a fun little little uh, little sideshow this week. That uh, I don't know. It, it doesn't mean too much. I don't see much motive to put it up. I think they were just creating a list, what they thought they had, and a lot of wishful thinking. Did you, uh, we're going to talk about uh, SB40 with uh, Tony and Mike, um, so we'll get to that in a bit. Did you follow that? Did you follow any of the vaccine bills? I, I followed, the only reason I'm following is because of this guy's quote. Oh, I, I, that's where I saw it as well, the vaccine bill. And I was um, like, I, bills? I'm pretty vaccine. sure it's House Bill 1035. It's some sort of vaccine bill where if you have some some ding-dong moral objection to vaccines, it got killed in committee. But they brought in yeah. some – they brought in a dude who is also a, a frequent guest on the Alex Jones show. Yes, and yes. Then, <laughs> and then he called he called the chair. I don't – I can't remember. I think it's – is it Kevin Jensen who's in 16? Yes, it was Kevin Jensen. Okay, I'm pretty that. sure he was the chair of the committee, and that the dude, the marble dude who came on, who's the Alex Jones guest, called Kevin a retard. Yes, he did. He said, uh, "Do you want me to give this quote?" Yes, um, please. Sure. Okay. Well, so this guy's set, like set rambling it up a little. about stuff, right? About earth, earth to poison pushers you need to wake up is what this marble guy says, and some other weird stuff he said. Then Jensen goes, "Please focus on the bill and stop the attacks, okay?" And then this marble guy goes. Sure. Okay. In some nation, uh, are you a R word or did God give you a brain? Um, and then Jessica goes, okay, stop, stop. You're done. You're done. Winning <laughs> us over again. Freedom caucus. Well done. How incredible is it that a guy with last name marble is a conspiracy theorist. Like he's got marbles in his brain. Like that's just rocks rolling around up there. I want to know how he gets a spot at a committee interview at all. I mean, it's open to the public. I know it it's is. a low bar, but like, come on, man. Hey, man, they find their places where they can. It and used to just be, clear, be funny. You didn't have to worry about Laura Hubble getting elected and having a, <laughs> a thing. Hey, and the, the actual bill, I mean, it's about exe- conscientious ex- uh, exemptions. And the thing I see here is this is a private employer issue, in my opinion. Yes. I mean, it's as a conservative, we are on the side of private employers. It is their decision and not big government's job to get in the way. And. Fun fact, anti-vaxxers will lose their mind when you say that. 
because the idea that it's big government, which it is, is hard for them to swallow. And it is. It's big government getting in the way of private business. I'll uh, end that topic of conversation with a reminder to the Freedom Caucus that almost everybody in America could beat Joe Biden in an election tomorrow, except for Donald Trump. That's actually polling showing that Trump's looking better. But oh, I know. Uh, Did you see Mitt Romney come out and give a give a great big warning about it? Who'd have thought? Like when I was a young, fiery Democrat, I said all these mean things about Mitt Romney, and now I want to give him a great big hug. You'll love this. I was a page to Romney's convention. Where are you? Yep, I was a page the national. Don't convention. you wish it could have been a more rock and roll candidate? You know what I mean, like someone, oh, I someone mean, more. I, I like Romney because I like his fiscal conservatism. Personally, you're such a boring Catholic chief. I, I know. I I'm a regular Republican. What do you want from me? I'm not exciting. Okay, that's what's wrong with the Republican Party. We need a little sex appeal. Uh, yeah, no, I don't. Romney was boring. I mean, you put him up against Obama, that's just not going to go well for Republicans. I didn't like Obama's politics, but he was a hell of a speaker. I mean, that's. Uh, and Romney was fine. Fine. Great. Real. Yeah. He was like yeah, visiting your grandparents. That's what that whole campaign yeah. was like. It was like going to the yeah. dentist. So, yeah, um, okay. That's a good Let's, point to bring up though. Trump's not going to win an election against Biden. I think I agree with that take. You so. got, uh, any bills you were tracking? I didn't, I didn't get to, I'll be honest. I didn't pay attention too much to what was going on other than it was rapid city day. So I want to say hi to all my West river brethren. And I think it's worth noting. And, uh, they brought up in our interview with, uh, Tony and Mike that the Sioux Falls delegation could not make it to Sioux Falls days due to the weather. <laughs> so that's, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah West River showed up and we didn't. Is what it is. Next time, next year. We'll still beat you guys on everything else, but it's whatever. A lot on charm. <laughs> well, you know, okay. Had, uh, well, we had a couple of bills. I mean, 1133, House Bill 1133, um, the pipeline, but I think we're going to talk about that with uh, Colbeck and Hoffman uh, we're actually interview tomorrow. So we'll get into that there. It's a better spot for it. Um, SB 40, I think is worth talking about a little bit more. Um, want to get into that? Yeah, let's do SB 40. Yeah. Let's so set it up SB- this way. Um, give me your, give, before we talk to Tony and Mike, give me your take on SB 40. Sure. Yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, SB 40 is the bill that would basically, um, move all offices that are elected at the state convention to a primary. Um, I like the bill. I left the convention last summer saying this needs to happen. It was talked about that day with certain senators. And it was, I heard the idea for this bill come up from five different people independently that day. That's how bad it was. Um, so I think it's a really great bill. A lot of them will say it's not because of that convention. It's absolutely because it's the Monet Johnson bill. It might as well be titled the Monet Johnson bill. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I think this is a good bill regardless of that convention, but that convention made it clear we need this bill. I don't know. And- I, I I can't believe I'm half not I'm 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 with you. I agree with you. I think we currently in the state of what is happening now need this to happen. Also, I, you know, if you go back and study the changes of you know, convention to primary, like a lot of the states that went from conventions to the primary did it in between the 20s and 30s post-depression because of party party politic mechanics, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. They were tired of the party bosses charging it, and that's why they did it. And so this is a natural debate about how that goes. I am, I guess, a little worried about the unattended consequences that this causes in primaries that are already extremely conservative. You're not wrong. I do see that argument. But at the end of the day, I think the really final thing is 
we should give more people the opportunity to vote for who they want to be their attorney general, their secretary of state, their state auditor, their state treasurer, so on and so forth. Okay. I, I'm in favor of getting every single one out of the convention. The original bill, I think, was only tenant governor to be a nomin- uh, picked by the governor and then attorney general and secretary of state. That was the only ones that were actually moved out. And um, it was amended, amended to this whole everything out of there. I, and I get- like that. I want to give Pat Powers a plug, too. He's got a couple of good posts yeah. on this. Go to dakotawarcollege.com if you follow uh, South Dakota politics. There's, he's got a great article. I want to say it's from an Aberdeen paper in the late 20s that talks about That's this, too. Correct, yeah. It's certainly it's not a new debate. And so I'd, I'd caution everybody's immediate expertise on this, right? Like, go go back go back 100-ish years so you can get yourself half-educated before you start cocking off about what an expert you are in this. I don't mean yeah, that to I, you. I just generally no, mean I that to people. I, I think it's important, and uh, I mean, the title of the article Pat has is Where Everything where everything Old is New Again, and politics is cyclical. We all know that, so well, you want to come up again. You want to kick it to uh, Mike, and, uh, Mike and Tony? Yep, let's do it. They're on the way back from Pierre. Let's go over to them. All right, back at Dakota Town Hall with me is Jake Schoenbeck, and we have a couple of dignitaries on the line, uh, Mr. Tony Van Heisen and Mike Derby. You guys are, Tony, I'm assuming you guys are on your way home after a week of session, yeah? That's right. I'm, I'm heading east, and I think Mike's heading west. Mike, Mike what time you want to meet at, uh, at downtown for a glass of wine? What, what's your ETA? Uh, six o'clock, uh, mountain time. <laughs> Perfect. What's that the, uh, gives me time to edit. In downtown, in downtown Rapid. Oh, Actually, that's... I usually end up at Arrowhead Country Club. There you go. I was oh, just gonna say, I don't, I don't know where to find him. Oh no! It's the it's the it's the hey, Red Doc, Rosa Doc. West. Murdoch's not, al- Murdoch's not allowed there anymore. Is yeah. <laughs> I have I get I get a guest pass when the jokes get dry. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a short guest pass. Yeah, it is. Um, okay, let's talk about uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about revenue estimates. Who, who wants to take the first lead on it? Well, I'll set the set the stage, and then uh, Representative Van Heisen can be my color man. I've I had the pleasure of being on appropriations back during the Janklow administrations from '97 uh, to two, 2002, three terms. Ended up as vice chair of appropriations and served as my uh, mentor and chair back in the day was Representative Jim Putnam. So I've served. I'm a representative from District 34 in Rapid City, and I'm still serving the same district I served 20 years ago and then uh, took about an 18-year hiatus and came back uh, last session. So I think what I've learned under Governor Janklow has served me well here and uh, just an honor to be chairman of House Appropriations and serving with my vice chairman, Tony Benheisen. I I could be partial here, but I I do like the group of uh, former Janklowites in office. Generally, it's good people. Yeah, we learned we learned under baptism of fire back then, but we had no money back then, 20 years ago. And it was a lot easier to be an appropriator 20 years ago because you just kind of went, you know, no, 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 no. And oh, yeah, hell no. Well, I was wondering in inside of some of these, uh, you know, workforce development bills, if you guys want to carve out some podcasting money for us. Uh, well, well, you guys you don't know. you guys don't work enough. So I'm sorry. <laughs> What a SDPB, what a public broadcasting? We'll, we'll do that. Yeah. All right. And ser- seriously, now, Tony, take a swing at some revenue estimates. Well, we had a good uh, we had a good process here on uh, the earlier part of this week, Tuesday and Wednesday, and uh, we had a 
joint House Senate subcommittee. So I, I was the chair of the House subcommittee. Uh, Representative Derby was on there with me and a few other folks. He actually, he was the main contributor because, you know, a lot of people might think we need a calculator or, uh, you know, some kind of an economic forecast, but he, he brought his mother's crystal ball to the meeting. So he's, that's really the most useful tool we had. <laughs> we hope we don't crack it. <laughs> that's but, true. Everybody kept saying that I don't, we don't have a crystal ball. I wish I had a crystal ball. So I actually brought one. <laughs> then we'll see what good it did it, but. Uh, seriously, you know, South, the, the, the revenue growth in South Dakota in the last two or three years is, is just absolutely unprecedented. And two years ago, growth at 12%, last year, growth at 12%. This year, up to this point, growth of, you know, sales tax, almost 12%. We're starting to see a little, things cool off a little. And of course, you're concerned about how long it's going to last. So I think we were pretty conservative. We, we, uh, we estimated growth for the remainder of this year that, that would uh, predict growth more in the five to six percent range, and then annual growth for next year we predicted only three point eight percent. So when you consider that we're coming off of two and a half years of twelve percent growth, I think we took a pretty conservative number. Now, even saying that, we'll have thirty-two million more to spend on one-time projects this year than what the governor proposed, and then going into next year for ongoing, uh, it's one hundred and ninety million, out of which will come one of the big tax cuts, but still 190 million to, to spend on ongoing things. So just like, I mean, Representative Derby talked about the Janklo years. I can tell you when I was working for Governor Dugard, we cut 10% <laughs> the first year and we never had anything like this. That was a historic cut too. I, I recall that when I was, I was still pretty young during that. And that was like, whoa, he came in and set the tone with that 10% cut. So are you guys are you guys any closer to a so you Tony you mentioned the word tax cut so I'm going to use it as the opening where does where does that land where does where where does that land a couple appropriators like yourself on which which tax cuts going to win Well I would stay tuned you know we have uh, Tuesday morning we, we don't have session Friday or Monday we have a 4 day weekend here but Tuesday morning house appropriations we have all three of them lined up in a row on our agenda so I think you'll start to get some answers on Tuesday That was a good try Murdoch I know man I just one week one of these one of these guys is going to answer that question eventually Someone's going to say it no, I, yeah. I, I am curious so we saw two estimates come in right one from LRC one from the Bureau of Finance and Management they're about 116 million off is there is there reasons why they're so far off in budget estimates or What's your thoughts on that? Is it some motives behind it or anything? Well, well, when you talk about off, you, you mean a part. Is that Sorry, what you I, mean? off is incorrect. A difference between the two of their uh, estimates. Well, I'll, I'll go I'll, ahead. I'll answer first. I'll answer first, and then Chairman can, can add his thoughts. But you know, they use two entirely different methods to get at their estimate, which is a good thing because you have to check on each other. Uh, the LRC estimate uses some historical data, trend data, some. Econometric. The BFM, which is the administration, uh, is using more economic uh, analysis. So it's good to have both of those competing. In this case, yes, on sales tax for next year, they diverge a lot. And, you know, when we looked at it, the, the administration BFM number was projecting 2% sales tax growth for next year. LRC was saying 7.5%. The last couple of years, we've been growing 12, so they're both conservative. Mm-hmm. We landed on 5%, kind of met in the middle, not perfect middle but pretty close i i don't think it's too crazy to think we can have five percent growth next year coming off of years of 12 12 12 
do I have a question? I guess Mike, I'll pass this to you. Does that where does that where does that compare? Okay, so if we've been if South Dakota's been roughly twelve percent year over year for a year or two, and we're estimating five to six percent, maybe then three point eight percent in twenty twenty five. What are what's what? How does that compare to other states? Well, that's a great question. I I guess I would defer to Governor Nome when she says that we've got one of the ro- most robust economies in the country. So without specifics, I would say that for a company or a country uh, with a state of our size, you know, under a million people, uh, we've had a robust economy. A lot of that, of course, is stimulus money, ARPA money, a billion dollars here, a billion dollars there that has come into the economy. I would say as far as other states, we're in a good spot. Well, and we, we still have almost a billion dollars of federal era money, which is COVID stimulus money that maybe has been allocated, but hasn't been spent. And in addition to that, and Mike, you might like to talk about this, you know, just some of the activity we see with construction that's going to be coming the next couple of years. Yes, that's something I highlighted particularly was the B-21 bomber coming to Ellsworth Air Force Base. Uh, up to two billion, maybe more than that in construction. And we did learn that Two percent of that is collected for the contractor's excise tax. And, you know, it's not the federal, but it's the contractors that are getting paid and ordering materials and things like that pay two percent on their materials. Then we have a GEVO plant, which is converting ethanol to aircraft uh, airplane fuel. And that's over a billion dollar project. And so things are, you know, they start to add up. Everybody's wondering how we're going to complete all these projects with the workforce we have. But I'm fairly bullish on that. Uh, You know, build it and they will come. Some of these big companies bring their own employees in. Sure. West River bailing out. East River once again. You're all welcome. You need us to survive. (laughs) I know what to tell you, man. I, I'm definitely disappointed that uh, we're not getting more revenue from the sports ta- uh, sports betting. That's a bummer for me. I thought for sure the Vikings had this year. Is that what we're waiting well, on? The, South Dakota's tourism economy being dependent on the Vikings winning a Super Bowl. We're toast. We, can't we might as, we might as well be North bill, Dakota. That bill got killed. Well, yeah, that one, yeah, that one went down today. I think I, I was a yes vote. I think Derby was too, if I remember correctly. So we we did That's our right. Project. That's two appropriators right there seeing just dollar signs. Um, I, if we want to pivot a little, since we have two uh, well-respected leaders on the phone with us and, and SB40 is happening this week, I guess I'd like to get some takes on how we feel you two should elect our future attorney attorneys general and lieutenants governor. Well, I believe actually it's going to be postponed two weeks. Is that accurate? Oh, did they push it back? Yes, they did. Um, as part of the vote, I think Casey, uh, Senator Crabtree, announced that they were going to let uh, John, uh, Senator Wick have about two weeks to work with the other side to find a solution prior to that, the House taking it up. Am I incorrect there, guys? That's what I heard. Yeah. So I, I don't think we're going to see that next week. I think that fight's going to be – the fight might evaporate. If, if Wick finds a, a good solution, it might evaporate. Otherwise, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a challenge in the House. I don't think it's uh, easy sailing, but it seems like leadership's in favor of it. I'll be interested to see what Senator Wick, as chairman of the party, uh, what he and the Central Committee come up with in response to that. Uh, I do think, and I would, you know, I was a delegate to the convention last year, and and uh, I'm a precinct man for my wife and I are both the precinct people for our precinct. Uh, 
you had some instances at that convention where you have a county that voted 70% for Christy Nolm for governor. Everyone knew Larry Roden was her running mate. And they show up and their delegation votes 100% for Steve Halgard, the lieutenant governor, the guy who she'd be. It's hard to see. I mean, that seems like it's hard to see that system as really reflecting the party or the will of the party. So I think it's a conversation worth having. I would not be afraid of saying, let's go to a primary personally. Um, you know, South Dakota picked all these offices by a primary until the Great Depression. We went to conventions as a cost-saving measure 90 years ago. Uh, we picked our county auditor in a primary, all the county officials, state legislators. It doesn't, uh, you know, the, what's more grassroots than letting the than letting the people vote? But that's just my opinion. Not to mention, I mean, if you think about the Haugard thing, there wasn't even news of him running until that weekend. I mean, that's not very transparent or grassroots at all. I mean, that's, imagine no. if that he had become lieutenant governor through that. People be like, wait, who's a lieutenant I, governor? They had no idea. I was shocked. Yeah, I was already in Watertown. I was in Watertown when it came out that he was running. So there was really no notice at all. Yeah, I know. I was I was there and I got that flyer that they were handing out. I'm like, this can't be real. Um, but there we were. Uh, Mike, what do you think? Well, I'm probably a poor interview for uh, policy stuff now. And as my, uh, you know, seatmate will describe, sometimes I'll walk down to the floor and I'm, I've got to ask advice from the leader or, <laughs> or my seatmate to tell me where we're headed on a bill because I haven't had the chance to really do a deep dive. Mike, Pretty well buried a, in appropriation. Mike, you're a Scrooge McDuck just swimming in money, right? That's your focus. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. That's my idea for yeah. Gnome's presidential ad is her swimming in like Scrooge McDuck style, swimming in all the money the state's making. That'd be a good ad, right? Hey, well, I think well, it's... Mike, go ahead. Say Mike's ad is going to be he's in the back room pinching the pennies. That's what he's doing. So. You know, I think it's important to have those legislators, though. It really, really is to have people that are focused on the financial, fiscal aspects of our state because it's an easy well, thing that, to not want to be a part of. And, you know, Jake, you mentioned citizen legislator we're citizen legislators we don't have a lot of staff but that means we need to count on each other and so we'll have one bill where the topic is you know transfers of ag land and that's something that will Mortensen knows about and then we have the next bill and it's some law enforcement issue and we can look to tim rice or dave call or something i mean we all have different experiences and different things we're focusing on and we count on each other that's what we do that's a very, very good way to look at it. Yeah, you need each other to to get a good operating uh, state. Hey, uh, Representative Van Heisen, I've been busting you up a little on work requirements. I, I should give you the floor to make sure you have your your chance to shoot back a little. Well, you know, I I just feel bad for you that you 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 just don't seem to understand it, Murdoch. And I that could very I well be. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. But <laughs> I, I'm not angry. I just see a campaign line when I I know a campaign line when I see it for an upcoming well, race in 2026. I, uh, the first thing from my mind. All I'm doing is this. That's see, the first time I've even even Derby's laughing. That's how I know I'm right. Back during the Dugard administration, we were talking about a work requirement for Medicaid. With Medicaid expansion, the people who are covered by Medicaid expansion, by definition, are able-bodied adults, working age. If they were not, they'd be eligible for Medicaid already. So the federal government currently doesn't allow it. The Biden administration doesn't allow it. Trump did. Biden doesn't. The language that we passed last year on the ballot wouldn't allow for a work requirement. 
that wasn't really discussed in the campaign. It was part of the larger issue. All I'm saying is, hey, let's put this specific question on the ballot. Let the voters weigh in. Is this something you want us to be able to consider in the future or not? You don't have, doesn't mean we have to do it. Doesn't mean we're going to do it. It just means that if it's ever an option, South Dakota has that on the table. That's and, all I'm doing. And I can certainly hear that. And I, and, and although my argument is still pretty good campaign line, but, but, I would feel a little better about it if also inside the Republican Party, we didn't have the Freedom Caucus school board from the movie Footloose that you guys kind of let in. I'm not even sure I understand what you meant, Murdoch, but (laughs) he's got terrible uh, similes or whatever I call analogies. Terrible. It's a it's a it's a mystery wrapped inside an enigma to me. I'm trying to be South Dakota's Dennis Miller. All I want to do is, I mean, it's the will of the people. If the people want us to consider a work requirement, we'll be able to. If they don't, we won't. That's fair. I'm curious, was it the option to do this entirely through legislation, or did it have to be an amendment? Or not an amendment, sorry, a ballot measure. It has to be a constitutional amendment, but only because a ballot measure to do Medicaid expansion was also a ballot. Okay. It was a constitutional amendment, too. I just wanted to clarify whether that was an option or not. No, no. I mean, th- this is the only way to do it. I wouldn't have put this on as a constitutional amendment if, if I didn't have to. Okay. That's, I was just curious about that. Guys, I want to thank you for your leadership and your service as Representatives Van Huysen and Derby from 34 and, oh, ooh, I should have, 13? No. 13. Oh, 13. 13. I am 13. right. Right on. Jeez, wow. See, look how right I am. It gets confusing. It gets confusing. Guys, thanks for coming on. Have a great weekend. Well, okay. thank Good you. Enjoyed it. Bye. Bye. Hey, for the record, man, I'm a half decent customer of Arrowhead. I'm I'm, a, I, I'm allowed there. I have zero doubts that, it's true. <laughs> I don't that. you seem like more of the uh, the Elks course kind of. I'm guy. a I'm a I I'm embarrassed. This is this is gonna get you know it's gonna get you kicked out of the South Dakota Republican Party. It's this statement. I think golf is just tremendously boring. All I right, couldn't yeah. think of a dumber thing I'd like to do with my time. That might get me stopped in this podcast. I know. Golf I'm gonna like get what I do. I'm That's gonna like get uninvited to a hang habit. with you and your dad. That's a real bummer. Uh, my dad and I travel on a golf trip every a five day golf trip every single year I'll, I'll, somewhere. I'll make everybody a deal. You come do one hot yoga class with me. I'll go do eighteen holes with you. I love yoga. Oh, I love yoga. Oh yeah. Well, oh, that's I'm really in. gonna get me kicked out of the Republican yeah, Party. You're done. He hates yeah, yo- yeah, he, he hates golf, golf and he likes yoga. I'm toast. I better call <laughs> Billy. <laughs> Uh, let's go to Senators Colbeck and Hoffman. We're going to talk about pipelines, eminent domain, no more nukes or more nukes, depending on who you ask. And uh, that's coming up next. All right. We are here with Senator Colbeck and Senator Brent Hoffman. Senator from Colbeck from District 2 and Hoffman from District 9. 9. Harder one to remember. Uh, they're here to talk with us about some of the pipeline and nuclear energy stuff that's been happening in Pierre. Uh, let's start with the pipeline, the uh, carbon pipeline having to do with Summit Energy, really. Uh, Summit Carbon Solutions. There we go. Oh, so three guys so, in the room uh, took that took four tries. So, okay, that bill got a hard killed in Senate this last week. Steve, can you give us kind of an overview of what that bill was, what happened? Yeah, so um, it actually started, uh, my district mate, John Sarda, actually, and then Carla Lems, both the representatives, uh, they were kind of ushering this through. There were other people involved, too, but uh, I think they were probably the two main people of the bills that survived. So started in the house, came out of committee, state affairs over in the house, and then it went to the floor, passed the floor, came to uh, Senate Energy and Commerce. Uh, we had that hearing just yesterday. 
my opinion, it probably died for about three reasons. I think that's why it died so hard. Um, bipartisan support to kill it, which was is pretty uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, but one, I think one reason was uh, it was a bit of a carve out. Uh, some people had a little uncom- weren't comfortable with that. Uh, some people thought that it was handled in another section, which is uh, South Dakota Codified Law 21. Um, and a judge had already decided on that, mm-hmm. that, you know, what is carbon a commodity? That was kind of all the questions. And then uh, I think some people actually just made the call for economic reasons. I think they thought that uh, the future of ethanol is is vital to the success of South Dakota and the future of agriculture. So uh, I think that's what a conglomeration of those opinions are what hard killed it. Sure. And I guess, I mean, that the, the judge already ruled that it was a commodity. So even if the bill had passed, would it still have carved out this pipeline? I, in my humble opinion, I, I, I don't think you could do that. Uh, right. That's Personally, that's why I voted against it. And I said it in committee, too. I mean, it's very personal. Um, I never thought that the legislators should be in that position anyway. I was kind of surprised it came through the House. But... Mm, I was a public utilities commissioner when we did Keystone, Keystone Excel, and now the Summit Carbon Pipeline. So uh, lots of discussion about eminent domain in my almost 20-year career here. But uh, you have to take those personal decisions and landowner decisions, and you have to take them to a court. Sure. You have to have an unbiased opinion on that. You can't go to the court of public opinion, which is 104 legislators, and think that you're going to get a good solution because you have to pick a winner and loser. The legislature really shouldn't be involved in picking winners and losers. I mean, think of it. We were, it was neighbor against neighbor. Mm-hmm. It was millions and millions of dollars for the ethanol industry or the landowners. Right. That's a lose-lose. Mm-hmm. So there's already statute. There's already been uh, determined that that should be in a court of law. And there was, there's relief for those landowners two different ways. One is called a right to take. So in the eminent domain space, in that law, you have to prove as a company that you have the right to take that. And any landowner has that right to say, you don't have the right to take my land. Uh, just a quick question. All of us get scuttlebutt texts from, you know, experts and lobbyists and who was drinking with the lobbyists, right? So, like, I'll generalize that to say, the I don't know, it seems like the energy industry's thought that the landowners being in the committee made a difference this time around. Well, and that kind of goes back, Murdoch, that goes back to the personal nature. It was really hard. I had three close friends, I mean, in the room. I had a guy that I'd gone to church with for 20 years wanting me to vote yes on that bill. So, yeah, I, they made a difference, but I think in the end, we had to make a business decision. Well, and, and it's, we had to it's tough on decision. these emotional ones, too, to give you a pass on the same, same you know, I'm not, that, that's not me jumping anybody's gun on it. That's, you know, these emotional committee things tend to lose the business decisions that have to be made. Right. Now let Senator Hoffman chime in here too. He was on energy and commerce, but we really had a lot of, a lot of lobbying from landowners. I would say there's actually more lobbying from landowners than there was from business. Hoffman, what do you think? I really can't add a great deal to what Senator Colbeck said. I think he's right on target in his analysis. The landowners were extraordinarily well-organized landowners for eminent, the main reform leader was the overarching umbrella organization there that was lobbying at our desks daily via email, phone calls. But in the end, to his point, we ultimately had to go with what the statute already said, court precedents, 
be consistent in our decision-making process. And the bill, if you actually read the text of it, it was redefining what a commodity is, and secondly, redefining how a common carrier is treated in relation to that commodity. I think in the end, based on what Senator Colbeck said, that accounts for why it was such a strong vote in 9-0. Right. I mean, that's a pretty hard stop. That's kind of the uh, I don't foresee it being smoked out. I don't think that has much chance of happening. I agree. Yeah, I think it's going to be dead there. I think, uh, yeah, so smoke out, is, if you do the math, it comes out to be like 11.6 people. So you round up, so it has to be 12 people would have to stand up for sure. it. There's there's lots of debates about smoke out, but I just don't see 12 people smoking out, especially with the bipartisan nine zone. Yeah, I mean, I think that's correct. Not on that issue and not in the Senate. <laughs> you guys, That's a good way of putting it. You guys want to go from carbon to uh, to uh, nukes? Yeah, let's go from uh, the yeah. That's different energies. Yeah. Uh, so we have Senator Hoffman and Senator Colbeck here to discuss uh, a very, I want to say, unique bill in the sense, not bill. I'm sorry, resolution in the Senate and the House that passed and was signed by Governor Nome. Is that correct? Everything I said there correct? Very close. Technically, it'd be called a Senate concurrent resolution, meaning the Senate passes it, the House concurs with that resolution, and then signed. Yes, and so the way that we're let's let's talk first about the bill itself, what it does sure. with nuclear energy, um, and then we'll go into kind of the specifics of that process of a resolution. Because so I think that's unique, and I think the listeners would know that as well. So sure, let's hear it. The resolution, like most, has some whereas language. It has some facts and statistics about the basis for going forward, the advantages, pros of nuclear energy, and then it has some specific text of encouraging the formation of what we call an interim legislative committee, committee composed of legislators, and then the common language it's simply referred to as a summer study sure. by legislators. So to the end of that resolution, that SCR, it uh, has some specifics on that summer study going forward of uh, reviewing legislation, reviewing policy proposals, reviewing nuclear energy modern designs, such as the modular reactors we can talk a little bit about if you like, uh, the design process, site selection, PUC, experts who have forgotten more about it than uh, Senator Colbeck and I have. So that's kind of what we had in mind of what a summer study would do if it goes forward sure. in conjunction with that resolution. Speak to those modular nuclear energy devices. Did I say that right? Uh, modular. They're smaller, correct? Not yeah. your giant, uh, I don't want to say Chernobyl, but when you think of the nuclear energy site, you think of that giant tube and that sort of looking thing. People so. use different names to describe that. Kind of the more common one would be small modular reactors, SMR. You know, if you're talking about the nuclear industry, you got to throw some acronyms mm -hmm, of in there. Some will call it modern nuclear designs. It's known by a lot of different names. But in contrast to what you'd see where fuel assemblies are basically put together on site, massive cooling towers, as you explained, multi-billion dollar process. Modular, much like uh, you build a modular home or something of mm -hmm. that nature, built separately, segregately put together, shipped, transported, and then becomes part of your overarching design. And typically, of course, of a much lesser capacity sure. than what you'd see of a traditional large light water reactor of it. But uh, typically it's 
viewed as less than 500 megawatts, whereas you can see a traditional reactor is typically one and a half, two, up to five megawatts, excuse me, gigawatts. What, what's the size of this, this unit when it's all built and put, a, put on the ground? What's that look like? Is it like a trailer home or are we talking, talking smaller, bigger, how big? This, this would be, I'm trying to answer this in very rough language. Yeah, terms. please, yeah, I mean, that, please that, do. that's what we're doing. None of us are nuclear okay. physicists here, I promise. <laughs> including me and including Senator Cole. Well, you're as good as we got, so I mean. <laughs> okay, okay. So think of uh, various small modular reactor designs that are currently in concept uh -huh. and currently in design approval stages with the Department of Energy and the one by New Scale, for instance. You would look at something akin to the size of a shipping container. Okay. So that can actually be transported meaning manufactured, put together fuel rods, control rods, everything inside a container and transported like that. So, uh, I mean, I know this is a resolution, so it's not really a hard and fast of how much we would do, but is there any idea of how much capacity we would look to use this nuclear energy for within our state? Well, I think, uh, and Senator Colbeck will chime in on this because he's forgotten more about electricity generation than I know. But uh, currently, a lot of residents don't know this, but South Dakota currently uses about 5% of our energy within our state is generated from nuclear reactors oh, outside. Dang it. Brent, that was my, I was going to pull that stat out. You stole my, you stole my <laughs> hot take. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint no, you. Oh, it's good. It's cool. That's, that's the only research you did for the entire show. Right. I was so, finally I mean, about to look smart. Yeah, that's the extent. Well, you have to remember that 86.5% of facts are all made up on the spot. There you go. <laughs> the average golf course has 13.7 holes. <laughs> so there's so, so a lot of people don't know that about 5% of our energy comes from nukes as it is. That's right. Uh, plants and uh, Monticello, uh, uh, Minnesota and Prairie Island, so they provide generation capacity for us. We really moved a lot towards renewable energies and wind energy in particular provides a large proportion of the electricity onto our grid now, but it has a very limited capacity. Sure. Much like solar, you know, which I think is 1%. Uh, it's dependent on the wind. It's dependent on the sun. Nuclear reactor plants in particular, have a very, very high rate of capacity, typically operate 92, 90, 97% at a very high rate, very stable. And if we are looking as a country and as a state to move into carbon or low free electricity generation, you can't do that mm -hmm. without shifting in some way towards nuclear power generation. That's kind of the genesis of the and idea. I I think that kind of goes to the previous topic we were talking about um, with carbon. So it was funny because uh, Senator Schoenbeck had the exact opposite opinion as Senator Nesbia, but they both voted no on that <laughs> legislation because <clears throat> one of them, because uh, he, it was more of a business sense, but he didn't believe in 100% in the carbon capture. The other one believed 100% in the carbon capture and didn't think that we should exclude it from a commodity. So. Um, it's, it's, that's why I think nuclear is, is making a run because you've got these polar opposites starting to agree, right? Whether you agree with it or not, that's what we're doing. We're going to, we're going to get rid of carbon, right? Mm -hmm. And we're going to try to use it 
we're going to inject it in wells or however we're going to use it. But um, to Senator Hoffman's point about um, we need thermal generation. We need something that's a constant that does not produce CO2. Sure. You can augment with lots of things. You can augment with natural gas. You can augment with uh, coal. Uh, you can do coal plants seasonal, so that reduces the overall. Uh, and then, of course, wind and, uh, wind and solar. But you've got to have that base load generation, and it has to be thermal. And I'm correct to say that I think currently right now, South Dakota's uh, energy use is like 80% renewable energy or something around there. Is that correct? Hydro and solar yeah. and, and wind. So that's another shift. And one thing related to the carbon pipeline and the nuclear energy is that Minnesota already, you know, remember they've gone all blue. So their center, their Senate, their house and their governor is, is, is Democrat now. So they have taken the renewable energy to zero carbon. They rolled it back from 2050 to 2040. Wow. So that takes yeah. a decade of ingenuity off. <laughs> so it puts us yeah. about 16 years out. That's not a lot of time. So, that's why South Dakota, Nebraska, Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, and uh, I think one more, one other state are actually all doing what South Dakota is doing. I want to say New Mexico. New Mexico. That's my yeah, guess. It's, it's and, and that's a blue state. So yeah. now we got a red state and a blue state competing, you know, and wanting to know if we can get some of this nuclear generation. Right. Is there an opportunity to, and maybe that's what you're saying, to, uh, because we have a lot of, you know, capacity for, uh, energy here in our state to sell that as a commodity is that a lot of that yeah so you have to kind of go into how the electric grid works right so there's midwest system um, operator midwest independent system operator that's how the the grid works and basically it runs up the interstate and it's everything east that's what bexel energy and otter tail and, um, big stone coal plant that's all in my cell Everything on the other side, like Northwestern Energy and SPP. Black Hills uh, Energy, they're all in SPP. Yeah. Okay. And uh, a lot of, some people don't know this, but actually the east, uh, the west grid and the east grid actually meet in the old Kmart parking lot in Rapid City, South Dakota. Do they so, really? Yeah. That's wild. We so, should we should put up a little you, plaque. Yeah. So <laughs> if you if you go from one grid to the other grid you have different sine waves because AC is a sine wave. So you have to go from AC to DC to AC and that's how they make that, make a match up. And that's where it meets. That is fascinating. I mean, it's dorky, but it's fascinating to the four people, you know, are into it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So this this bill, uh, it's it's signed by the governor. What are the next steps? What would we talk to to get this thing rolling forward? Another minor thing. It's not signed by the governor. It's I'm a, sorry. It's a resolution. It's fine. For the summer study to move forward, that decision is made by something called the executive board, which you're probably familiar with, Jake, because your father <laughs> is, on, <laughs> is on it. However, the final composition of that e-board won't be determined in sometime near late February, early March, when we have elections within our caucuses and when the, within the two respective bodies. The e-board then will make that decision. They'll take six, seven, eight, ten, whatever it is, ideas that have been proposed for summer study. I hear things about workforce. I hear things about child care, various other things. Obviously, nuclear energy is one of those on the table. Those people will get in a room, put all in a pot and stir it, and they will choose two or three items that they want to go forward as a summer study, and that's when the decision will be made. So Senator Colbeck and I 
really the resolution's intent and purpose was to get this on the radar of all the legislators. This is something other states are discussing. This is something that DOE is sending multi-billion dollar grants to states to incorporate. This is something currently going on in, in Western Wyoming where they're converting a coal-fired plant to a small modular reactor design plant. This is something where Montana recently passed a resolution. Nebraska is doing tax incentives and already has a plan. South Dakota doesn't necessarily want to be on the leading edge as an early adopter for the technology, but much like economic development, you want to have the lines in place, the policies, the procedures, the system where you can be prepared to do that. I would like South Dakota to be positioned to get some of those dollars to be looking forward to the future of our energy sources and this off offers a good first step to get there. So we'll let other states make the hiccups and mistakes first. We'll come in and use it once it's all good to go after, you know, about five states have done, right? Yeah. It's kind of to make it, make it easy for us and that should be a good thing, right? Yeah, not on the cutting edge, but on the, mm -hmm. definitely on the, on the cusp of what's coming next. That's not bad. Well, yeah. Adam, it's so, all, it's, you know, when we're talking about energy, energy is complicated. I don't, I think people, um, you know, left side, right side, it's, it's more nuanced than coal. I don't think people necessarily understand that. I also don't know, you know, if you look at South Dakota's power grid in 1999 and South Dakota's power grid now, you would see an, a pretty aggressive growth into renewable energy that I don't think people would go, wow, look at that. That's pretty great. Now, you know, I'm the default Combs of this show, so the eight Democrats in this state that text me and want to bust you guys up about climate change, et cetera, I, I guess I'd frame back to them, you know, I guess nobody likes coal because they can't anymore, but if you took away all the coal right now, you'd also have to get rid of the internet and all your grandparents because no one would live. <laughs> so, you know, 20-year swings is pretty impressive to see all coal or almost all coal to such a vast array of renewable energies in a small state that we are. Yeah, and I think, you know, one thing that everybody always mentions versus waste. Um, and you have to remember that renewable energy isn't waste-free. You know, that you build a turbine, it's made of steel, there's oil in the heads, things like that. But what turbines and solar are is the fuel is free. And that's really what you have to, what renewable is, it's renewable fuel. It's not a renewable wind turbine. It's not a renewable solar panel. That's one thing to keep in mind. The other thing to keep in mind is that at some point, everything that creates electricity will create waste. It's either going to be nuclear waste. It's either going to be oil waste. It's either going to be whatever makes a solar panel, solar panel yeah. waste, just like an electric car. You know, there's going to be waste to that. So once everybody kind of has come around to that, now they think, okay, what's the best way to reduce carbon? And I think nuclear's I mean, comes out on top. We're talking waste here. The waste is minimal from these modules. I think that's important to talk about is, and, you know, even from a, a large nuclear power plant, the waste is minimal. Um, well, to Senator Colbeck's point, uh, you have to recognize that every energy source comes with pros and cons. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's great that we've expanded our wind capacity and that electrical generation and the renewables. But I can't tell you how many citizens I talk to that loathe wind turbines peppered across sure. South Dakota countryside. Where you stand on that depends on where you sit. Does nuclear energy have some issues that would be labeled as cons by most people? Surely. One we've already discussed is it's cost prohibitive from the standpoint mm -hmm. of a traditional nuclear reactor. Now, SMRs offer some promise, as we've discussed. Nuclear waste, 
at every stage, at the mining stage, at the refinement stage, at the production phase, and at the operation phase. There is nuclear waste. There is no centralized standard facility for long-term storage in the United States, something we've been working on for decades. But there is at least short-term solutions to that. Senator Colbeck can talk more yeah. to it than and, I can. Just the fuel. So just the fuel is not the size of your pinky. You right. can get a ton of coal if you take the top notch of your pinky, the top where the pinky first bends, about that size is equal to a ton of coal. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to minimize the, the storage of a lot of long-term storage nuclear energy, but the reality is it's manageable. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. Manageable. Right. Dangerous, but manageable, like many things. Well, thank you so much, guys. That was a fantastic conversation. I, Senator Colbeck, Senator Hawker, thank you so much. I'm Jake Schumbeck. That's Murdoch. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you later. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thanks again to Senators Colbeck and Hoffman for doing that with us. That was a lot of fun uh, having my senator and your cousin Murdoch <laughs> with us on the show, Senator Colbeck. So those Colbecks pop up everywhere, I think. They're so Ooh, funny. Senator. It is the fun, the funniest family reunion in South Dakota is a Colbeck family reunion. I guarantee it. Got to be pretty sober, too, huh? Uh, I, you know, we're all getting lame in our old age. It's a lot more I sober than it used to be. Well, yeah, that was, that was fantastic. I, I do want to cover one more issue that we have not gotten to yet. Two weeks ago, we had Katie Whitman on to discuss a, a lot of different things. Her driver's license bill was a great interview, as well as her bill about free school lunches for kids. And unfortunately, that bill did die in committee uh, this last week. Uh, I I personally really like the bill. Um, what is I the think, give give a little bit on the bill, will you? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty simple. Um, it basically uh, it's free school lunches for. All I can't. I think it's, I want to say it's K through twelve. Uh, could be wrong on that. I know it's. I know it's uh, elementary and up for sure. Okay. Um, and it's free school lunches. The, the issue there, and the reason it really got voted down, was that it was pretty expensive. Um, it was like forty billion or forty million plus. Um, so forty it, billion. It, that's a lot of Twinkies. Forty million. 40 million that's million. an affordable amount of Twinkies. It's, but it's still enough that it does. It moves the needle, and um, I think. The, the issue is there, the conversation was not fully developed for it to be actually implemented yet. Um, I think it's a good thing. And I, I actually think it's a pro-life argument to be in favor of this. You think I mean, a free, the, you think a free lunch bill is a pro-life argument? Oh, I think a hundred percent. I mean, the, the, always the argument from Democrats against pro-life is that we only care about the baby until it's born. I really think as a pro-life state, because we are a hard and fast pro-life state, we need to start passing bills and doing things that provide for children after their birth. And this is a great example of something that we require kids to be at school. So if we're requiring them to be there, we should be paying for their lunches. Um, I mean, we give prisoners lunches that are in prison. Why are we giving kids lunches at schools? Um, I know that's not, uh, it's not a very fiscal argument. I understand that. Uh, One of the arguments against it was that people start thinking, or kids start thinking that government should provide everything. That was one of the arguments against it. I thought that was pretty hollow. So I, I think What's not, this, I mean, devil's advocate, was it that hollow? The thing got killed. It was a Democrat representative bringing up the bill. If it was a Republican, we'd have more of a conversation. I'll say uh, that. I guess I'll, and I'll, ta- I, I'll tack on in this way. I hear moderate Republicans say, you know, I'm, it's an easy, an easy applause line I hear in a lot of rooms is, you know, I'm a fiscal conservative, but I am a little more socially liberal than some of my conservative brethren. Well, this is what that means. This is applying that to an aspect. I mean, I'm pro-life. I'm very pro-life. But I think 
when it comes to where government needs to step in is caring for our children. We, we provide education to them. I think we should at least provide them a lunch. I think that is reasonable. Next week on Dakota Town Hall. It's finally that time of the year. I mean, it's been backloaded on to the end of the session, or not end, but towards the end of the session. It's time for the talk about food tax cuts, sales tax, all that jazz. Um, we're going to have some fun. I'm with you. It's finally time that this podcast gets a real answer on uh, am I pro, I am pro or not pro food tax. We have been trying so hard to get ducking us like, like, like cockroaches when the lights come on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great week for tax talk, which is not something we want to talk about, but we're going to. Dakota Town Hall, South Dakota's weekly podcast. Episodes available every Friday. For more information or to request availability, please go to dakotatownhall.com. Dakota Town Hall is presented in partnership with Home Slice Audio, produced by Leslie Klein. Music and audio production by Oakley Tai. Research by Home Slice Audio and Dakota Town Hall. Graphics by Timmy Grablander. Social media content by Scout Wheeler. And website design by Trey Wynn. Editorial advisor and executive producer, Brad Murdoch Jurgensen. Special thanks to all of our weekly guests. While we try to be accurate with all of our information, this show is recorded live and errors may happen. For corrections, please visit dakotatownhall.com. Hosted by Noah Grable, Jake Schoenbeck, and Brad Murdoch-Jurgensen. Dakota Town Hall, another Home Slice Audio production.